Hey everyone, welcome back to the It's Mind Game podcast. My name is Jade and I'm so glad to be once again joined by the wonderful Jacqueline, um, who is a psychotherapist. And if you haven't listened to our previous conversations, no doubt you'll absolutely fall in love with her if you haven't already. But for now, welcome Jacqueline. Thank you so much for having me again, Jade. I've been really looking forward to continuing this conversation together. Yes, and this is absolutely part two of... Um, I guess surviving diet culture and re-establishing a, dis- uh, a relationship with food out of eating disorder recovery and what that means. And we decided that we'd kind of continue the conversation on as a part two and where we let off was that realm of intuitive eating. And I guess to add some context to the conversation in case some might be a bit wishy-washy to where we, we left off was There is an element of confusion when it comes to intuitive eating, um, what it means to actually be intuitive and how sometimes you may not have access to it depending on where you are in your recovery. Um, You know, some common things we might see on on YouTube is the Fitzbos kind of preaching their intuitive eating, yet they may have had a really long time of calorie counting and perhaps eating disorder. So They can suggest they're intuitive, but some part of it is they're just very comfortable eating their their safe foods or their rinse and repeat foods. And it can be portrayed as a, I'm living the life. Like I don't even care about food. I just pick and I eat and it's effortless and they're not lying. Like that is their truth. But we also don't know if they were to be placed in a different environment where perhaps they couldn't choose their favorite foods of all variety how they would respond, what that would mean. So um, I guess a good place to start is if you were to define what intuitive eating is, where would you begin? The simplest definition, which is hard for me to keep it simple. I was in depth I'll, as you like. I'll, I just I'll thought, go we'll start with what does it mean? <laughs> I'll give a headliner and then I'll, I'll uh, embellish on that. To me, the North Star of intuitive eating is that it's body-led, not brain-led. Oh, I love that. So when we undo the learning around food that we've been culturalised within, which we really dove into in our first part of this conversation, that for the majority, the vast majority of people that will end up being diagnosed with an eating disorder or acknowledge that they have significant disordered eating and body image distress in their life. The disordered social messaging about bodies and food has been a significant contributor to that. Not all the time, but most of the time, that is what people will will see as a contributing factor to their diagnosis or to their distress, which creates an interesting situation compared to other mental health scenarios other health physical health scenarios which is that if our society itself is part of the poison arguably how do you get well and stay well if you're not planning to move on to a mountaintop and live in isolation and and not be part of mainstream society anymore if you're going to be even with your best ability to filter messaging and keep conversations contain you will be ongoingly exposed to the same messages that might have made you sick in the first place so 
So how do you get well and how do you stay well, given that that's, that's the environment most people listening to this podcast will find themselves in, most people diagnosed with an eating disorder or HA will find themselves in. And to me, intuitive eating is probably 80% of the answer to that. I see it as an immunization against the messaging and the, the setup of how we get separated from our own bodies, which usually happens when we're really, really little. And you and I have talked about things like people pleasing and boundaries or lack thereof, and these things that we develop long before an eating disorder that set fertile ground for it to find root later on in our development. And when this, when this is the scaffold of how we've built our personality and how we've found ourselves in the world, that's what I mean by being separated from our body. Like it actually isn't obvious always that we're hungry, let alone sad, let alone uncomfortable with the way someone's treating us or being able to determine that a, a boundary is being crossed or someone might not be speaking appropriately to us because to survive, which is to be accepted, to seek acceptance and belonging in our communities, we've abandoned ourselves, we've betrayed ourselves to get that need met and then how on earth are we meant to know what our appetite is saying and what our body needs. We're going to intellectualise that and we're going to internalise messaging that we're saturated with which is well you should feel like this in the morning or the kind of person you want to be would eat that for lunch rather than knowing how to come back to our our unique body that is it's not the same as any other body that's ever existed and what its needs are and what is supportive to the whole of it which is more than the physical mm, I love that you added in that element of almost uh, how we've brought in food standards to to role modeling. Like if you want to be that person, you eat this way. And if you want to be successful, you have this routine. And and that's quite dynamic in the way that, you know, if you think about some of the people we we might look up to in society, some of them might preach like fasting, intermittent fasting sharpens the mind, it, it sets you up for the day, you'll be really intense focus. And there's so many studies on that that say, yes, that that can actually be the case. And, you know, male-dominated studies that doesn't work in the female's favour. But then, you know, when you add in that element, you suddenly go, oh, okay, so that's when we can really see the complexity because now we don't only have a physical standard that we might want to look a particular way. We've also heard these things, well, successful people eat this way or driven people, um, health-focused people, and we start to get not just sort of one category that we're drawn to, but we start to get multiple. And then when we start to feed them and we think we're going in that right direction, we're becoming the person we've always wanted to, and our health then backfires, no wonder we feel a sense of betrayal and confusion because it's like but I followed almost like the the best people I could find to lead me and now I'm here being told to go back to myself mm. when some of my following come from but I aspire to be this person why would I not look to them now you're telling me to look to me when like I'm striving for more how how do we begin to shift that focus and even just the 
easiest thread of believing that we hold the answers to what our body needs. You articulated that so brilliantly, Jade. It's that whole journey from self-abandonment to that almost rude awakening of realising that within ourselves is the answer. And the word that was really shown through to me from what you said is trust and self-trust that many of us haven't had because we were we were geared looking externally, we were looking at the role models, we were copying. And it struck me how it's almost like a brand of clothing. Like if I want to be in that industry, like this type of profession, I might wear those clothes or do my hair in that way and eat in this fashion. Like it almost Mm -hmm. goes with that package of branding that we get sold. Mm -hmm. And so when that flips and it suggested that, our body might know what to do, it really brings to light how how much messaging there is that the, the body, especially the female body, is problematic from everything from the process of menstruation to weight gain, unwanted weight gain. It's like um, you don't want to trust this thing. You need to control it and um, be in charge of it and discipline it. You don't listen to it. You don't put it behind the driver's seat. So it's for a lot of people quite jarring to hear that, to come across that idea. And I can't tell you how many times I've I've heard people say when I've just represented the idea of intuitive eating, something along the lines of, oh, I couldn't do that. If I ate intuitively, I'd just never stop eating chocolate. Mm-hmm. Or kids can't eat intuitively. If you let kids eat intuitively, they just eat rubbish all day. That, that sort of idea that if... Um, which is how we might think about someone that we have very little respect for and we almost see as having quite disingenuous, harmful intent, like someone you wouldn't let loose in your house, like you wouldn't have them in your house if you weren't home to monitor them because they might raid your cupboards and and that's like how we speak about our bodies when we talk like this. It's like don't let that thing out of its cage. That's I've worked really hard to keep that in check. So it is very, it is a very different way of moving into this conversation, which is why it's so remedial and why it is an immunization. It's like the anti-venom that's made of the venom itself, except it was the it was probably the chicken before the egg in the first place, in that we were all born unless there was some other hormonal, organic hormonal imbalance or significant neurological difference of functioning which occasionally there is but statistically the huge majority of people born are born with the instinct to be able to eat adequately we're too young developmentally to know to know about social messaging to be able to take that in we've just been born where under two or three years of age we can't actually process the meaning of that so what we're choosing to eat is coming from a body-led state. Mm -hmm. And then we build information to that as we become more intellectual, as we become, have more experiences in life and build more data as to what is helpful and unhelpful for our unique bodies. That intuitive eating, I think, can be, it can almost feel mystical in its grandeur, like a really unachievable trophy to finally get to and one day become an intuitive eater and for some for some people it will be an arduous 
process because of the significance of their disordered eating and the significance of their separation from their body. But it really is quite simple. It really is in the day-to-day being attuned to what you feel like eating. And when I said earlier that it's the whole of your body-mind system, not just the physical body, that's important to touch on too because we don't just have appetite, say, our body tells us to eat something with carbohydrate because our glucose levels are dropping and our brain needs more to function. That might be one way intuitively speaks to us. But it also could be that we're visiting our grandmother and we have childhood memories of a favourite dish she used to cook and nutritionally we don't need anything in that dish. Maybe we've met our, our needs that day. But emotionally, spiritually, that would be so comforting. It would be so enriching. It would be connecting to eat together at the table with our family. It might be things like warm food on a cold day or a cold drink on a hot day that is also part of physiological intuition that isn't nutritional, that's going to cool us down, warm us up. There is, it's so much more multifaceted than often gets talked about. And people sometimes I find also can get lost in the nutritionism of intuitive eating and the fitness culture because they might feel my body would never want anything that isn't healthy, in inverted commas. So if it's telling me it's craving a sort of processed food, well, that can't be intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. But that that is incorrect because it is, again, coming from, as, as you so hopefully uh, highlighted, what happens if we're travelling and none of our usual foods are available and our body's going to tell us the most important thing is that we need we need energy right now to continue going about our day and to stay safe. And this is the favourite of the things on offer. And it, it also doesn't mean that we're always eating something we're craving immensely or have an incredible enjoyment of. Sometimes it's the better of two not great options and something at an event that's been catered or somewhere we, we wouldn't have chosen to eat. But it's just leaning into the availability of our body's wisdom, not just ongoingly overriding that automatically from what we know, which is, which is what I mean when I say our, our mind or our brain. Mm. I love everything you touched on there. And I, I guess something that sort of kept popping up as you're describing how intuitive eating presents itself in different scenarios is the conflict that often people feel when trying to find their intuitive self is because they've been so robotic with food for so long that idea that no but I only get hungry every three hours or I only get hungry at at after 10 a.m or I only get hungry and I guess the the incredible thing about our brain is that if we if we feed at these rules it will act on that and it leads into what you said at the very beginning where when you're talking in more the eating disorder space with uh, women actively experiencing it, it's a very, it's almost like you're um, like the discipline required and the teaching of the body on how you should behave, how you could react. Like I've, my brain pops up with images and all I just think about is like when you've got a puppy right? And you're trying to train it and you love the puppy so much, but you show discipline that then we take it to the next level where, you know, you're going to say to the dog, sit, stay, whatever, but then you go play and have a good time and relax and release. And, but we don't extend that with our own self. We kind of go sit, stay, pause, 
stand up, sit, stay, pause. And if we rinse and repeat that for long enough, our brain just absorbs it and goes, oh, okay, this is repeated behavior. I love repetition. I love the known. And it can trick us into believing we're intuitive because it's like, oh, no, but I do. It's true. At every three hours, I just get hungry. You know, I don't get hungry in between then. And, um, and I think that's where it can be confusing because that is a real experience for the person going through that is that they might not feel any hunger cue, but it, it doesn't mean it's not there. And a wonderful example of that is if you're, if you are missing your period, if you are undernourished, you're experiencing hair loss, let's say you're severely underweight, you've got other chronic health issues, like we know you are undernourished and you legitimately can say, but I'm not hungry in between these time periods. You are right in what you're saying. And I think it's important women feel believed, like, yes, we hear you. And that is your lived experience right now. 100% we understand. But that doesn't mean it's the truth. It can more so mean it's very well-wired programming, right? So even with that intuitive eating piece, it's starting to bring to the forefront, almost like letting the guard down to go, well, if I was to feel hungry, what would that feel like? What would that be? What would that mean? And sometimes it's really sitting and thinking about it. And I, I'll link this back into you, Jacqueline, is what some of your clients might witness. But I know a lot of women when I work with, when we're starting to, to find hunger cues, because that's what it is at the start. It's like they're not there because you're very well programmed. But when you start inviting them in, you might realize that even when you're having a conversation with someone, you've got a niggly chatter in the back of your mind going, yep, snack's coming up soon. You've got your sandwich. Oh, do you know what's in the pantry? Are we going to go to the grocery store next time? Oh, I think I saw the chicken or perhaps I saw the sweet potato or perhaps I saw the chocolate. And there's this little chatter. And because it creeps in so gradually, you kind of just think that's what humans do. You know, we've always got a chatter of some sort. And then you start to create space for observing hunger cues because you've, you've had some education and you go, oh, well, I have that chatter all the time. It never stops. It stops for a little bit after lunch. And you can go, yeah, well, you have a bigger meal at lunch. You know, you've, you're, you're feeling um, satiated. So the chatter will, will shush for a little bit until you get hungry again and, and the noise will slowly build. Or women might start to notice this very subtle light cramping in their stomach. But you know, that could just be my digestion, you know, because I'm chewing down what I ate three hours ago. And again, it's a, it's a lack of awareness. And I guess opening up the space for if you feel like you do not have a hunger cue, we understand that's your experience, but creating space to invite in observations is that first thread towards becoming a body-led eater. Because I really, I really love that rather than even intuitive because intuitive can be so easily swayed but body-led is like no you're you're listening to the chatter of the mind you're listening to physiological responses you're really paying attention and to me if you break down intuition that's what it is you can put yourself in a little bubble delete the whole world for a couple of minutes do a little look up and down on your insides and go oh I see you I hear you I'll, I'll help you out here that's incredible, Jade, what you've captured there. There's a, a few points that feel really important to 
um, to touch on because just to what you were saying at the end, intuitive eating has been really captured now as a marketing term. And I've even seen meal delivery services market the service as an intuitive eating program, which by definition is a paradox. It's, it's actually funny <laughs> because someone else can't design your intuitive eating for you. And, and as you say, like fitness um, representatives and influencers might use the term, which really confuses it. And I, I, I love the wording intuitive eating. I think it's a beautiful phrase and I'm a bit sad to park it, but I think that might be necessary to offer more clarity on what we're actually talking about. And Body Led does that for me. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on is that it continues to be a relationship between the body and the mind or the self. So it's not body exclusive in how we're eating in terms of, for example, sometimes my intuition tells me at 10 p.m. that I feel like a coffee, that that would be, that would be a nice thing to have. It's probably feeling tired. Um, I could have a nice coffee while I'm unwinding at the nighttime. And then my brain part, and you could call it a soul self, has this, and I know I can trust it because it's gentle and it's warm and it's kind, and it says, honey, that's just probably not a great idea to <laughs> have a coffee right now. I want you to have a rich restorative sleep. We're probably just, you know, wanting that because you are getting tired. Let's look forward to that in the morning. And that's a good example I just wanted to offer of what intuitive eating can look like because if it was exclusively bodily led, I'd be like, great coffee, let's have it and not be discerning from what my body might want. And that might be times where... Um, where the other part of you comes into marriage with that with that body wisdom and can be discerning with what will serve the whole of you and everything you know practically and logistically about your day. But it is, again, we can trust it because it's kind and it's flexible and it's subjective. It's not a blanket rule. It's not you can't be hungry because it hasn't been three hours. It's just thinking about sleep and thinking about the time of day and, you know, if you Really, if I wanted to have the coffee, that part of me wouldn't be angry at me. So I know it doesn't have that black and white feel to it. But also, I'm, I'm so very grateful that you brought up um, how people's appetite itself can be suppressed because sometimes I work with people that have been under eating, restrictive eating for a very long time and their appetite almost isn't there anymore because it does give up that part of our bodies. And our psychology realizes that it's not getting heard and it stops wasting energy knocking on the door and it's just not going to listen anyways. There's no point if I cramp or if I tingle or if I send up these signals, she's going to make that decision based on other information and it goes quiet and it shuts down. And then it's dangerous to hear a conversation like this and think, I do want to progress in my recovery. I'm going to try intuitive eating. And lo and behold, I'm just not hungry a lot. And there might be part of us of the eating disorder might find that quite exciting as well. Like I can, no pun intended, have my cake and eat it too. Yes, Mm -hmm. it turns out I'm not restricted. This is my intuition. I get to keep it. But strangely, strangely because it doesn't really make biological sense, one of the symptoms of malnutrition is loss of appetite. And so it gets messy. It gets confusing with that cue going away and 
people maybe misunderstanding that very genuinely, as you say, they're not lying. That's accurate reporting. I'm not that hungry or the foods I'm craving are the foods I've become familiar with. I've forgotten about other foods that might be offered. And what is needed as a bridge from that place to being able to eventually intuitive eat is what can be called mechanical eating or structured eating, which is eating regularly and maybe working with a dietitian, a nutritionist, one that specializes in the HA ED space, like our beautiful friend Claudia, who could offer from a scientific basis a safe guideline on what is likely your body is wanting until you can attune into what specifically is right for you because we are all humans and there's a lot of common denominators that are fairly reliable that most bodies are going to be wanting and that is necessary before intuitive eating will be available it's absolutely essential after restriction yeah and I love that you said on the and I think that's where when you don't have enough uh, a guidance when it comes to eating disorder recovery it can be messy to pick your path because it's often women want to fast forward straight into intuitive eating and sometimes you're not ready. Well, actually a lot of the time you're not ready for that. Cause as you said, it, the hunger cues switching off is so common and it doesn't take a whole lot for it to happen either. Um, I even remember thinking years ago and it just popped in my head as you were sharing that was um, when I was in my intermittent fasting phase, I remember having really intense like tummy cramp. Like I knew it was hunger I remember thinking to myself, ah, I'll give it five minutes. It'll shush. And, and it does. It was, and I remember as the days went on, it slowly got less and less. And of course, because I, I was less educated, I was sitting there going, yes, you know, see, I've told you I'm not hungry. And I saw it as a victory. Like, yes, see, I'm the person who fasts now. I've shut down my hunger and, you know, trophy for me kind of thing. But knowing what I know now, it's like, oh my goodness, you so rudely just slammed the door in the face of, mm. of something that's so important. But it's just how innocent it can happen. I didn't, I didn't know I was setting myself up for that. I thought that was the plan. You know, I can turn it off when I want to, but I didn't know that once I turned it off, it's really hard to turn it on again. Um, let alone the other feelings and emotions that come with consciously deciding it when you worked hard to remove it. Um, and then another thing you said about the mechanical eating side, which hopefully a lot of women listening will resonate with when they're starting to, you know, add breakfast is the first thing is I'm not hungry in the morning. And it almost feels offensive that someone says even half of a banana. It's like, you don't understand. I don't eat in the morning. I'm not hungry. And it's such a resistance. And then all of a sudden, maybe a week, two weeks, three weeks, they start off having just half of a banana or maybe a protein shake, small and then they'll, you know, send a text message or an audio clip and be like, oh, my God, I woke up this morning. I'm starving. My stomach is so hungry. And because it's happened in a somewhat controlled environment, like they know this sensation is going to come. It's not scary when it happens. It's not like, oh, my goodness, now I'm the person who's hungry in the morning. It's like, wow, I've been having breakfast and now my body's actually signaling for breakfast. And it's a very positive, like, yes, we did it. You know, it's a welcomed experience. And then often that can be one of the first times someone can say, I think this intuitive eating thing's happening because they've actually woken up with an earth shattering, like this is definitely hunger. 
Like I, I don't need to sit and think about it. It is raging at me. So I'm, I'm going to go have my breakfast now and enjoy this sensation now kind of going away. Or perhaps it only goes away half because I'm not yet ready to fulfill a full meal. But, you know, it's a beautiful, hey, we're doing it. Like we're actually doing it this time. It's the recalibration of trust, isn't it? It's like yeah. giving that signal and having that responsiveness from your body. It's you have to offer the gesture before trust can be accepted. And it's it's us on the, the doing side that have to do the work. It's not up to our body. Our body's well within its rights to be cautious. Yeah, I just have this image pop in my head as you said, the the offering. It's almost like, you know, if you offer the hand a few times in a row and the person shrugs it away and doesn't want the help you stop offering the hand but the person starts gesturing that they need the help again you might not offer it first up or second up but suddenly the trust builds and they are able to help each other and Mm. it's that mind body link it actually is so beautiful that that's how it can be reconstructed just the effort towards it can be enough to start everything and stimulate everything again it just needs some some tlc which sounds so simple when you break it down after that whole conversation we've just had but um at at the very core of it it's just creating space to be heard isn't it exactly that's well said Mm. well jacqueline our time goes so fast together i appreciate every single moment i have with you and i really hope the ladies listening have enjoyed this episode um where can our listeners reach you if they want to connect with you Come and visit me at wings underscore end underscore quill on Instagram and Facebook or send me an email at Jacqueline at wingsandquill.com. I'd love to connect with anyone listening today the conversation resonated with. And Jacqueline also has a wonderful podcast. Do you want to share the name of your podcast and where they can find that as well? I do have a podcast bit called The Sisterhood Downloads, which is available at all major podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, uh, where we talk about motherhood and thriving and business and really being women that find a way to be empowered in this modern world. So, yes, if you need your extra bit of Jacqueline in between our monthly episodes on the It's My Game podcast, you know where to find her because I certainly do. But, Jacqueline, thanks again so much for your time and I can't wait for our next chat. Likewise, Jane. Thank you.